transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the Mojave. What a weird time we're in. It's weird everywhere. It's like a virus. A global pandemic of madness. That's especially here, this great sickness, this thirst for blood, this lust for the blood of the young, this maniacal desire to annihilate the self, but only after soaking the ground with the blood of innocence. Up here in the high desert, we had quite a scene. Monday night in the desert, they called it a field in the newspaper reports because I guess there's no accepted editorial term for a patch of open desert alongside a road. Some open desert with creosotes here and there waving their spidery arms around in the wind a couple of Joshua trees a steady line of cars on the two lane there's an intersection here by the middle school and a number of people have died right there in recent years just in traffic accidents Morons racing by at 75 miles per hour while school buses try to make a left turn, that kind of thing. It's a pretty miserable life most of the time, and a lot of people are determined to get out of it one way or another by vehicular manslaughter, by a bottle of pills, and anyway, there are memorial roadside crosses here on both sides of that road now. One of them brand new. And these crosses are all over the high desert, marking all the spots where we kill each other with automobiles and other things, where we run down beloved local musicians riding their bicycle home, where we slaughter people crossing the highway because the stoplight is a mile away, where we honk and scream and rev the engine because the car in front of us is waiting for a mother trying to get her babies across the five-lane highway before that walk signal blinks red. I was stuffing envelopes in the office not long ago and staring out the window and you always see people dodging cars dodging cars doing 60 miles an hour where it's posted 45 and should be 25 but on this busy tourist Sunday I saw a group of about two dozen tourists international tourists with one of those tour group luxury buses waiting for them in the motel parking lot and they all had selfie sticks and thousand dollar cameras and then I realized what they were doing, which was insane. A few of them would run across the highway, dodging traffic, and go over to that abandoned gas station with the abandoned convenience store on the north side. 
The others on the opposite side of the busy highway would cheer and wave and yell and take a lot of pictures or video, whatever they were doing. And then a couple more would run across the highway. Horns honking, brakes squealing, and oh, they were having a grand time. All these seemingly well-off young people, fashionable outfits... Backpacks full of cameras and lenses, and the near misses, the near death experiences, seem to be the height of hilarity to all of them. Finally, my nerves were such that I could not take it anymore, and I ran outside to tell them to get the hell out of the roadway, and they just smiled and waved. They could not really hear me, and if they could, they either did not understand or did not care. I called the CHP in a black and white rolled up just a few minutes later. They're really all over Joshua Tree these days because it's such a death trap. A suicide trap. And you get these hard-ons from the Marine base who just cannot stand to slow down. It just burns them up inside. And every one of them has Texas plates. It's a disease of the brain. But the tourists had already gotten back into their tour bus, so the highway patrol did what they do, just kind of slowly go around the block once. That was that call complete. Maybe a month later, on the same two-lane where the latest murder and latest suicide by cop occurred, I saw the same kind of tour bus, maybe the same operator, out of San Gabriel Valley, I think. And sure enough, there were a lot of younger tourists with fashionable black leather backpacks filled with photography equipment, all laughing and smiling as they ran back and forth across this road taking pictures of each other. I have no idea what kind of sickness is involved here, and I'm sure not going to look it up on the internet. I don't want to know. I'll just wait it out and hope the fad passes before Joshua Tree is in the headlines for causing the latest international incident. Boy, one day, probably soon, some country is just going to wipe us out. It feels like they're all getting ready, doesn't it? It'll happen one way or another. I hope it's Canada. I think the Canadians would be kindest. Oh, sure, there will be something like the Nuremberg trials and lots of hangings and firing squads and all that, but I hope whoever survives, the mostly innocent people anyway, I hope they wind up with health care and maybe enough money to pay rent and get food. What a nightmare world. What a nightmare. I'd sure like to wake up from it. I'd sure like to get some rest and wake up without the dread. Wouldn't that be nice? So this burnout, 58-year-old suicidal maniac with a gun, of course with a gun... Just make up whatever combination of despair and hatred and add with a gun. Well, he lures his young ex-girlfriend to this high desert crossroads. 
You can look up the details if you want. They're all bad details. I guess if I had been standing outside, I might have heard the gunshots. That kind of thing really carries on a quiet desert night. Well, she knew it was bad and she went anyway, but she had a friend on the phone. Just listen in case you hear trouble. Then call 911. There was trouble. The deputies got out there. And at least the story in the newspaper is that the suicidal burnout murdered his ex-girlfriend right in front of the cops. And they opened fire and they missed, or maybe he was wounded. The accounts vary. And honestly, nobody will ever know because the only people who survived the night were the deputies. Apparently, they chased him through the creosote and the Joshua trees and the yuccas, and then they finished him off. Now, of course, they closed off this major road for the whole next day because they love that. Nothing even happened on the road, but they've got to do it, got to do the internal investigations, go through the motions. I went over there and walked around the next day, walked around all the sheriff's do-not-cross yellow tape tangled up in the creosote, wrapped around the trunk of a Joshua tree, blowing into the roadway like an old cassette tape unspooled in the desert roadside weeds. Now, I was at the saloon after that, and you know how gallows humor is pretty much expected at the bar. It's natural. It's not meant to be mean. That's a way to cope with it all, like saying, well, at least he's roasting in hell now. I mean, we're the ones in hell. This is it. The earthly paradise is here, and men do not see it. And so we are in hell. God knows if we broke down crying over everybody who was hurting, everybody who suffered violence at the hands of another evil, broken little man. From the barrel of the gun in the hands of another broken and evil little man. Well, nobody would ever get out of bed ever again. And so somebody says, you hear about that murder, the double murder or whatever it is? The guy murdered this poor young girl and then got the cops to pull the trigger on him. Yeah, where was that? Uh, Right on the boundary line. Well, I hope it wasn't on the Joshua Tree side. I hope it was on the Yucca Valley side. So that'll be on their murder statistics instead of on Joshua Trees for the year. Why there's no animosity like the endless grudge between neighboring towns. Well, it turns out it was on the Joshua Tree side. I saw it myself. Yellow tape all tangled up in the bushes. A real beautiful bar to Joshua Tree on the south side across from the Mojave Desert Land Trust gateway parcel. That's 600 plus acres of Joshua Tree forest between Yucca and the little town of Joshua Tree. We should just close that intersection and that road for good and just make it a graveyard. Just dump the bodies right there. We sure make a lot of corpses. 
meetings, members of the board, and of course, the general manager. It is not my intent to be somber, but I must report the facts of the investigation. There is no known method for total objectivity. The mental processing of any narrative, whether real or imagined, or some combination thereof, by nature applies a set of organizational rules to the constant stream of incoming data. The five senses, of course, but beyond that thought, beyond that reason, and informing all input, a consciousness made of instinct, instinct meshed with an evolving superconsciousness, a collective brain containing all the known world's culture, its philosophies, its information. Yet the information is always filtered. We can only work in good faith if we believe in good faith that our methods are honest and our intent moral. As expressed by our founder, the first general manager within these same adobe walls in 1918. This report upon the year of our chapter reaching a century in age is submitted without dissent by the research division. observed the development of the phenomena over this century and can say without doubt that very little has been learned. Yes, we have reports, we have file cabinets full of reports, databases of decades of contacts, all cross-referenced and endlessly crawled by index robots seeking patterns, searching for connections, perhaps inventing connections, because if we have learned anything, it is that as soon as you make something up, people begin observing it. There is a type of entity encountered throughout human history. It has been known by the names as angel and demon, elf and ogre, god and monster. A brightly lit and seemingly benevolent feminine entity is always the virgin in Catholic lands. The large-headed entities such as Lamb and its hilt are now known globally as the Greys. The airships became saucers, and the saucers have become triangles. There is an intensity to the messages of the past quarter century as the messages have become more specific. As Richard Stuthers wrote in his NASA study of the historical phenomenon that was published by the peer-reviewed Classical Journal in 2007, Throughout reported history, reports of what we today might call unidentified flying objects have been made and preserved. If more information were available to us, we would perhaps find that conventional scientific hypotheses could explain most, if not all, of these. Certainly, this has turned out to be true of most reports from better documented periods. 
there nonetheless remains a small residue of puzzling accounts, and regardless of what interpretation one places on them, these constitute a phenomenon that spans centuries of time and widely different cultures. What may surprise the serious student of the subject is that despite the numerous articles and books published by scientists on UFOs over the past six decades, almost no scholarly studies of the very early history of the phenomenon have appeared. Note the similarity to George Cocker's influential paper for the Rand Corporation, 1968. Those familiar with the UFO literature are aware that reports of sightings did not begin with Kenneth Arnold's sighting in 1947, but that phenomena reported today is much the same as found in documents going back to the earliest times. Valet gives a sampling of this. BLP Trench has made a more thorough study and reports on the research of others able to study the original documents. What was reported? Luminous discs, flying shields, globes, and elongated objects in the sky. Sometimes alone, sometimes in large numbers. Occasional description of interactions with the observers are also mentioned, including landings and seeing and communicating with occupants. The latter events, especially, were almost always interpreted in a religious context. One example is the repeated appearances of typical UFO phenomena at Fatima, Portugal, over six successive months in 1917. The October 13th phenomenon was the best reported and was witnessed by a crowd of about 70,000 persons, including a number of scientists, reporters, atheists, agnostics, as well as faithful Catholics. One of the scientifically curious was Dr. A. Garrett of the University of Coimbra. Rain, which had been falling that day, ceased and the crowd looked up to the sun now visible through the heavy clouds. Professor Garrett writes, I turned toward this which was attracting all eyes and I could see it like a disc with a clear cut edge with a vivid rim, luminous and shining, but without hurting one. The comparison I have heard at Fatima was with a disc of dull silver, and it does not seem to me exact. It was a clearer, more vivid, richer color and with shifting tints like the luster of a pearl. It was not at all like the moon on a clear, transparent night, for one saw and felt it like a living star, nor was it spherical like the moon, nor did it have the same quality of lighter and less light. It looked like a burnished wheel cut out of mother of pearl, nor could it be confused with the sun seen through a fog. There was no fog. The disk spun dizzily round. It was not the twinkling of a star. It whirled round upon itself with mad, 
rapidity, the sun preserving the celerity of its rotation detached itself from the firmament and advanced blood red towards the earth, threatening to crush us with the weight of its vast and fiery mass. These moments made a terrifying impression. I have taken the liberty of providing bound copies of both the Rand paper and the NASA study. Yes, you may well have read both reports in the past, but there is reason to refresh one's memory due to the escalating situation. The similarity to the U.S. Nimitz and jet fighter encounters off the coast of San Diego and Baja, Mexico cannot be denied. The difference, and this is a crucial difference, is that now the displays are happening for exclusive audiences of the U.S. military's finest pilots and high-ranking naval officers. The audience has changed, and this is of special concern. High-quality encounters now seem intended to pierce and deflate the last faith held by those living within this country in particular, the faith in military and technological superiority. Within the materials, please also reference the commercial jetliner encounters over Northern California and Oregon on the SFO PDX route last October and over Saguaro National Park involving American and Phoenix Air passenger jets on February 24. As this faith breaks down, we are hearing ever more leaked reports of disturbing incidents with military and intelligence witnesses that would have been kept quiet in better times. But there is no longer any denying that the wheels are coming off this particular bus. We are in a chess game with something we do not comprehend and our defensive moves are meaningless because of it. Cyclical government and national collapse is an expected part of civilization, but the current structural weakness along with the prophecies does add up to something more than the rise and fall cycle. Because it is our specialty, it was the Mojave chapter that performed the initial investigation at the Aerial School in September 1994 until being expelled from Zimbabwe. Exiled staff in Johannesburg were able to complete the investigation via proxies remaining in-country. The event solicited a rare and serious civilian probe thanks to the late Dr. John Mack, the results of which are also included in your packet and which you will recall differ in no significant fashion from our own work. Of 62 school children who witnessed the event at the forested edge of the aerial schoolyard, it was a group of older children who received the telepathic message and prophecy. As is common in such cases, wordless thoughts were left to the individual to translate to language, and yet the language was remarkably similar. These students of a private school were of black, white, and Asian ancestry. If you were to pick a likely population to transcend racist thought traps, these happy children in a pleasant rural suburb were a prime target. Our correspondent and research partner in sub-Saharan Africa, the late Ms. Cynthia Hind, described the children as, quote, a cross-section of Zimbabweans. 
black African children from several tribes, colored children, meaning a mix of black and white, Asian children, meaning descendants of grandparents who were from India, and white children, mostly Zimbabwe-born, but whose parents were either from South Africa or Britain. Dr. Mack writes that the students received quote, powerful messages about the human threat to Earth's ecology and that the messages were being conveyed to the experiencers in vivid, unmistakable images. Some experiencers received the common late 20th century messages regarding ecology and climate, but the most mature of the young students received very specific messages about rapid changes to the planet that would occur when they reached adulthood that they should prepare for. Those changes are now upon us, suggesting a time travel or dimensional aspect, but also appropriate to the Vallis theology. The transmitter, still theoretical in nature, could, by artificial intelligence, be learning new messages based on satellite readings of the atmosphere. Yet no such satellite has been discovered in planetary or lunar orbit. Yet the discovery of the interstellar object in October 2017, given the Hawaiian name Umuamua and meaning a messenger from afar, fast approaching, raises this possibility, of course, that the transmitter is not fixed in our orbit, but perhaps intelligently controlled to make periodic passes. We are no closer to knowing the source of the messages than we were one century ago. We are no closer to understanding whether the messages are auto-generated to apply to our situation or if they are from a position of knowledge about our prospects. What we can affirm today is that this generation is now in adulthood. The prophecies were correct, and we were unable as a species to reverse course. Oh, I wish I knew what to make of it all. This has been Desert Oracle Radio. Friday nights at 10... KCDZ 107.7 FM Good night from the Voice of the Desert <laughs>